Okay, Tov. We are continuing Milachim Aleph. We are in chapter 7, right? Yeah, we're in chapter 7, verse 8. And I was doing a lot of reading last night because I promised I would, um, now that... We'll do some preparation. Yeah, Tara's starting to sleep more. I'm able to do some preparation. Um, so I actually did a lot of reading. And I, and I, was, I was going through the book <clears throat> on Kings called Kings 1, Torn in 2 by Alex Israel. Phenomenal book. Highly recommended. And there are a few things I just want to, to take a step back and consider um, before we, you know, before we go any further, just in light of the things that I was reading. First of all, he's saying, going all the way back to the story of the, the two women who approached Shlomo and wanted to, um, who, and were both claiming the baby was theirs. It's an incredible thing that Shlomo was able to determine the just uh, approach to the case without any evidence because the case in and of itself had there was zero evidence to be to be had they were both alone in the room they even admitted it as part of the testimony mm-hmm. okay he said it's also important to notice that these people are from the lowest class in society that because they're harlots and that it seems like in the Jewish vision a king is a is a lawgiver and a judge more than anything and he has and and the king Seem, it seems like the king always had an open door policy for anybody of any status to come and get a proper judgment. Now, it's something I never, I never put my finger on. I never realized that if you look, the, we have Moshe, who the first political thing we know that Moshe did in building a, <clears throat> like a political system was a court system. And you have Shilomo, who is known as the lawgiver. Now we're seeing in the construction of the Bit HaMikdash that his house is going to be the house of justice, the hall of justice. Mm-hmm. We also saw, I have to see exactly where, but there were cases in which David was also judging. And then we're going to see later kings as well throughout the book of Kings that people are going to approach them and say, please judge us. So one of the things that we see is that the main, one of the main purposes of a king is to judge the people. And that's, that's like part of the Jewish understanding of what a king is supposed to do, that he's supposed to establish fairness. And now what is a judge? At the end of the book of Shofetim, it kept, it kept reiterating right. there was never a king, there's not a king in Israel, there's not a king in Israel. Yeah, everybody did whatever they want. Uh-huh. Everybody, they everybody needed, did. They needed a, a judge. Maybe, a they need, right. Maybe they needed a judge, exactly. exactly. So, so the, um, now the interesting thing is that What's the difference between a judge and a king? So it seems my, my claim is that it seems like the kings in Israel, first and foremost, the, most, the, e- most, the easiest way to identify them was as a judge. Mm-hmm. That was their first and most important task. And that's why it's like the first thing that Shilomo does. And by the way, when Shilomo pronounces this judgment on the women, everybody recognizes Shilomo's wisdom and, they, and his kingdom becomes established. As if once he proves that he can be a good judge, then he becomes a king. Mm-hmm. That's how Bnei Israel look at it. So now, uh, what's the difference between a judge and a king in the classic sense? A judge, what's, what is the, the idea behind a judge? The idea is that there is a set of laws that the judge has to know, and then the judge uses those set of laws to determine who gets what and what situation in, in matters of dispute. Mm-hmm. Meaning a judge has no power in and of it, in, of itself you know, The judge doesn't have any, any power to adjudicate The judge has to be guided by a, An external set of laws 
or rules, let's say in the case of a Jewish judge, the Torah rules and the Torah morality, and the judge simply sees in the case who is more in line with what the Torah would consider to be just and fair and proper. Mm-hmm. Now the judge is not allowed to insert his own opinion in the case. That's not the point of a judge. What is a judge doing? He's simply taking the external law, which was in, let's say, the U.S. case, a constitution, and in the Jewish case, the Torah, and seeing which of the parties involved is falling in line with that, with that case. Now, let's say the judge wants the poor guy to be right because he likes poor people, but the rich guy is right. What does a judge do? He sides with the rich guy, even against his own internal will. Yeah. Now, what does a king do? A king is different. A king, they just have power. A king, in the classical sense in other nations, is able to decide what the law is. They're able to make the laws. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between a Jewish king and a, and a non-Jewish king. A Jewish the, the king is... The practical difference, not, the, okay. not what we see in history. Right, the, the practical difference in, in, in the way it's thought out is that Moshe, the first king, as the, you know, different... Uh, parts of the Torah may call him a king or Shalomo the, the most the most epic king in the history of the Jewish people they are lawgivers bound by an external set of laws mm-hmm. or by an external set of morals they don't have they're not supposed to have unlimited power to make the law now if someone can make the law and then adjudicate the law then obviously the law is going to be corrupted and that's the power that we typically see outside the Jewish system mm-hmm. so I thought that was a very fascinating point on a side note, it goes into what's going on, the whole debate in Israel right now about the, the Supreme Court. Now in Israel, the problem is that there's no constitution. So the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has the power to do whatever they want, whenever they want, to strike down any law, to stop anything, tell any soldier what they have to do, they, to the extent that they're allowed to dictate through their legal means how the army is supposed to fight war. Like, they have unlimited power. Now if they were guided by a constitution or by a law, then it would be good because, I mean, it would, be, it would be okay. It would be forgivable because they're obligated to follow a set of external laws. Mm-hmm. And, then they, and then whether they like it or not, they have, to follow, they have to judge just in accordance with those laws. And that's the most important thing. A real judge doesn't always do what he wants. A real judge always subdues his own will to the will of the law, the external law. The problem is in Israel there's no external law. And the Supreme Court is the law. It's funny how they don't follow the Torah, like the obvious. So, right, of course. Uh, that, that's even. So, the Supreme Court, what ends up happening is the Supreme Court does whatever it wants because they could make the law. There's no, they're, they're allowed to establish what the law is, and then they're the ones who does. So, what do they do? They're all progressive. So, they decide, okay, we want the law to be progressive. And so, they make the progressive laws, and then they say, oh, now you have to do what we say. Which means that in Israel right now, Basically, the only people who have power are the judges. So it's a dictatorship, which it is right now. Um, a soft, it's a soft dictatorship. Now, on a side note, there's another very interesting lesson to learn from the stories of Shalomo. Is because they wanted to change the system so that the judges don't have un- unlimited power anymore. And just limit their power so that it's a fair balance, at least, between the Knesset and the judges. Now, the side of the judges is saying... We're not going to serve in the army. We're going to close down Ben Gurion Airport. We're going to block all the streets. We're going to leave our businesses. We're going to stop paying taxes. We're going to do everything to sabotage the country. Now, I understand it's annoying for them because they're losing the power that they thought they had, and now and they're and and I get it. It's frustrating. 
But, you know, at the same time, there have been times when the right had very bad things happen to the right. Or the more uh, right-wing people had things that were equally bad. Whenever they pulled them out of uh, Gaza and they, they kicked people out of their homes in Gush Katif. So the right also was very frustrated and it stunk and it wasn't what they wanted. But only one side was willing to say, you know what, the hell with the whole country, let's destroy it, let it, let it uh, excuse my language, let it uh, fall apart, let's sabotage the country because if they're going to have it, then we'd rather have, it, have the country dead. Right now, that's what's happening because of the, the fact that they're changing the court and this and that. So that side is saying, let the country be destroyed because if the right is going to have it, we might as well not have a country. And now when the right, 20 years ago, was having the country pulled away from them, did they do the same thing? Did they, did they pull out of the army? Did they stop serving? Did they, did they, stop, did they try to close down all the, the major arteries of the, of the country and to destroy the economy? Did they call on nations around the world to BDS the country? Did they claim that the country was being a fascist dictatorship so that nobody should do business with it? So I think maybe if there's something we could learn from the wisdom of Shalomah is that he learned a very good way of telling where people's allegiances lie. The one, whenever two people are fighting over something, like in this case, two people are fighting over the country Israel, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them is willing to watch the country be destroyed so that the other person doesn't get it. And the other one will say, I will always serve and I'll always love the country and I'll always support the country no matter who's controlling it. Mm -hmm. it. It goes to show who really, really loves the country and who really wants the country to thrive and who's really just in it for themselves, mm -hmm. right? I, I think it's a, beautiful, it's, it's a very interesting comparison to the story that we saw. Um, now, finally, a last point that I was reading in Alex Israel, he said, look, if you look at all of the construction of the Beit HaMikdash, the construction of the Beit HaMikdash is at least double the size of the Mishkan. The... You have it split up into the ulam, the, the, the ulam, which is the outer area. Then you have the hechal, which is the area where the, the Kodesh stuff are. And then you have the Kodesh Kodashim. Then you have the Bet Mikdash. That whole area was double the size of the Mishkan, which was the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodashim. On top of that, it was three times the height. It was very, very tall. On top of that, we also saw that there were kiruvim that were, that were ten, 10 amot tall that were on top of the kiruvim in the Mishkan. On top of that, we're going to see that there were 10 minorot instead of one minorah, and there are 10 shulchanot instead of one shulchan. So, um, Alex is saying that there are a number of reasons for this. One is that it shows that Shilomo's time, it represents the coming of Am Yisrael into its fullest form. Am Yisrael is, is, has gotten to the peak of success and wealth. And this is all show, shows in the fact that all of the things that we had in, in the Midbar are 10 times bigger now. Uh, he also said a very interesting thing that, um, no, I, I forgot that point. I, I don't want to say because I'm not sure about the details. But he's saying that a lot of the construction projects that you're going to see with Shilomo are on a much larger scale than obviously the Mishkan, and that represents that Am Yisrael has grown financially and, success, and, and has become so successful in terms of their Parnassah that they can afford to expand upon all of the things that were done in the times of the Midbar. One other point, when it says that Shilomo began the construction of the Beit HaMikdash, what was the date that it tied it to, that we tied it to? This is the fourth year of his reign. Fourth year of his reign and 480 years from Yitziat Mitzrayim. Which is another way of the text showing us that from Yitziat Mitzrayim is the start of the process. It did, the process didn't conclude until Shlomo built the Beit HaMikdash. 
and they they finished and they they completed the circle of history. See, he said that's why the cycle starts from. That's why it ties the construction of the Beit HaMikdash to the time when Bnei Yisrael left Egypt. Because it starts from there, and it ended whenever we built a Beit HaMikdash, which is we reached the pinnacle of our Jewish success. Okay? At the same time, here is going to start, become, we're going to start having the issues with the construction and with all the money, because that's when Bnei Yisrael become vulnerable to, become, to losing their way. When Shilomo first asked Borei Olam, for wisdom, Borei Olam says, because you didn't ask for wealth and for power and for renown and for kavod, I'm going to give you the wisdom and I'm going to give you all the other things. Now, the brilliant thing about Shilomo asking for wisdom and not all of those wealthy things is that we know that those things pertaining to wealth, like having a lot of horses and money and kavod, those are exactly the things that a king has to avoid. So the question is, now that Shalomo was able to early on in his reign avoid those mistakes and to get caught up in the wealth, will he be able to continue to not get caught up in that going forward? And we're going to see that at some point Shalomo is going to lose his way a little bit, maybe get carried away with all these vast construction projects and the wealth, and that may cause him to stray from the way earlier on in his kingdom that he was so focused on just wisdom and not on wealth. He may start to be swayed a little bit and go in the way of the wealth, which the, the Torah wants him to avoid. So that's like a, some interesting details that I was reading last night, and I hope it's interesting. Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen.